Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers. Welcome to a very special, long overdue episode of Profiles. It's about time that we are getting to one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Actors of all time. <laughs> Question is, what took us so long before we get to Robert De Niro? Well, I love that this is almost a companion piece to our Martin Scorsese episode we've already done because, of course, these two have collaborated so well together and we'll be talking about many Scorsese movies in our Fast Five, but talking about them this time from the perspective of the actor and Robert De Niro. He has to be one of the most committed actors around. 71 years old, still going strong. He's starred in over 90 films and he is a method actor. Method with a capital M. I mean, it's the famous story that he gained 60 pounds or whatever it is to play Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull. Also drove a cab for Taxi Driver. Uh, went to Sicily for Godfather Part 2. I mean, he puts everything into every role he does and you can see it he's so natural he doesn't do anything in halves and during the 70s he joins the list of Al Pacino Jack Nicholson Dustin Hoffman and just one of the great actors of that time and of all time and he really did raise the bar for every actor that followed every generation that followed and his intense physical and mental preparation he is so committed like we talked about eight movies with scorsese mm-hmm. and, and and look i mean he's a producer mm-hmm. he is a director yep. he created the tribeca film festival yeah. as a response to 9-11 and incredible career incredible life wonderful life <laughs> and that's our cue well it's a wonderful life roll it was born on August 17, 1943 in the Greenwich Village area of Manhattan, New York. His mother, Virginia, was a painter and a poet, while his father, Robert Sr., was an abstract expressionist painter and a sculptor. De Niro's first brush with acting came at 10 years old when he played the Cowardly Lied in a school production of The Wizard of Oz. At age 16, he dropped out of high school to pursue his acting career full-time. After studying at Lee Strasberg's Actors Studio and the Stellar Adler Conservatory, De Niro scored his first popular film role as a dying baseball player in 1973's Bang the Drum Slowly. That same year, he made Mean Streets, which began a long and fruitful collaboration with director Martin Scorsese. The following year, he played young Vito Corleone in Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather Part II, for which he won his first Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Six years later, he won the Best Actor Oscar for Raging Bull, and he was nominated five other times. Incredible. Incredible. Wow. Damn. Amazing. 
And great life, great something career. Something that uh, Scorsese said about Rob De Niro is, I still know of nobody who can surprise me on screen the way he does. No actor comes to mind who can provide such power and excitement. Wow. And that is true. What was your first blood, your first encounter with Robert De Niro? <sighs> my first encounter with Robert De Niro, I, you know, my parents, we talked about this before, they how say, they turned me on. They want to make you watch scary movies. They just took me to the craziest movies when I was just in my single digit years. Yeah. This one being The Deer Hunter. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. How old were you when he saw oh, that? Oh, let's see. That came out in 78. So I was uh, nine. Wow. Okay. But what, what do you remember about that movie? The Russian the the Russian roulette scene. scene. Yeah. That scene alone was horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it was terrifying. And that was the first movie I ever saw about the Vietnam War. Of course, it came out around the same time as Apocalypse Now. It came out the year afterwards, actually. But that scene was so terrifying. And De Niro was so committed to that role, among many others. Mm-hmm. But that was the movie. That was the role. That was the scene that I still will never forget. Well, I was trying to remember what my first blood was with Robert De Niro because he's one of these guys we've spoken about before that just feels like he's always been in my life. He's just always been around. So looking at IMDb, I was like, I think it was Backdraft because I remember seeing (laughs) Backdraft when I was really young and I was so scared because I hated fire. 91. Yeah, and the idea of like opening, I think I must have been 10 or so, and opening the door and the flames coming out. Yeah. And I don't necessarily remember De Niro from that the one the first one I remember him from was Cape Fear which I remember being seen seeing bits on TV and then seeing the full thing and he was terrifying also that. 91 so I think technically it was backdraft but then Cape Fear was the time I was like that guy is scary. Yes. And he's so good. Well, I just because you brought up Cape Fear, I just that movie came out in 1991 and I just that that movie is terrifying. He is terrifying mm-hmm. and just when you compare the preparation he did to play Jake LaMotta to the way he was so incredibly ripped as yeah. Max Cady in and he Cape Fear. Ground down his teeth for right. that role. He cut it paid five thousand dollars to a dentist to mess so. up his teeth and then he paid another twenty thousand when filming was wrapped to get his teeth back the where, where they should have been. Oh, amazing. Amazing movies, amazing roles. I'll tell you this should be like a two hour, two and a half <laughs> hour episode of profiles. I think it's be a bit but long. coming in at number five in our fast five is not really a drama, but a comedy. And the comedy find of the year making his television debut, Rupert Pupkin, the new Rupert. king of comedy. Rupert! Are you crazy? Oh, I thought you were going king to choose the line, better to be king for a night than, than schmuck, schmuck for, for a, a lifetime. lifetime. Which is a great line and something that really stands out in this movie. We've spoken about this film before, directed by Martin Scorsese, but Robert De Niro as Rupert Pupkin, he it's such a great character, isn't it? Because he is so delusional, but you also kind of like him and he's like he's quite normal. Normal, but he just wants to be famous. And he's also not as dumb as he looks. No. He pulls this stuff off. Yeah, and he he could have talent. He's just so 
He's a sweet Focus. guy. He's, he's a sweet guy. I mean, the movie, it's kind of ahead of its time, yeah. especially with the way people are so fe- obsessed with fame right now. Right now. It's, yeah, I think if anyone hasn't seen The King of Comedy, watch, watch it. it now because you'll be watching it going, this is exactly what's happening. With Everyone wants their 15 minutes. Everyone wants their 15 minutes and just look at any TV show on Bravo. And they've all, they're all getting it. The uh, this shows. movie was released on February 18th, 1983. Directed by, yes, Martin Scorsese. It was not Nominated for five BAFTA awards. Mm-hmm. BAFTAs are the British equivalent of the Academy Awards. Best Director, Supporting Actor, and Best Actor for Robert De Niro. It won for Best Screenplay. This is a disturbing film, but it's also really funny. And uh, the way De Niro and Scorsese would sort of get Jerry Lewis riled up, oh, yeah. they would like throw these racist comments at him. Until he was ready to burst. And that's what, that's what made the character. Yeah. I mean, Jerry Lewis is fantastic in this movie. He really is. I, and Scorsese says that he's very underrated in this movie. And I think this movie itself is underrated. Scorsese wanted to do The Last Temptation of Christ after Raging Bull, but uh, De Niro didn't want to play Christ. So De Niro had the rights to this script, which is actually written by a film critic. And then he, he convinced Scorsese to do this one. And it's all about celebrity culture and about fame. And there's a lot of comparisons between Rupert Pumpkin and Travis Bickle. But I see them as two very different sociopaths. There's also, I'm glad you brought that up, because there's also a very similar ambiguous ending. Yeah. Like, how is it that everything just works out so perfectly? Is it all in his head? Rupert, is it all in his head? He goes to jail, and then he's out. He's got a hit book. He's on TV, mm-hmm. and everybody loves him. Everybody knows his name. He's on the cover of all these magazines. It's just too good to be true. Yeah. And like Taxi Driver, the ending for King of Comedy is very, very ambiguous. Ambiguous, and it took me a few times of seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I do watch this movie a lot because it's really one of my favorite movies uh, right. to to sort of like take in like what is going on with this ending. But Robert De Niro would plan, uh, he would practice to play Rupert Pupkin's stand-up by watching the comedian Richard Belzer do his stand-up back in the early 80s. And can you guess who Scorsese's original choice was to play Jerry Langford? I remember reading this, um, Johnny Carson. It was Johnny Carson. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading about that. Johnny Carson passed, knowing Scorsese's penchant for doing a few takes, Mm -hmm. and he says, one take is enough for me. Yeah, and I think Scorsese, uh, like Jerry Lewis was saying, um, De Niro would intentionally screw up takes so that he could just get more and more and more, because he knew that once he got to the 28th or 29th take, that it would be perfect, and of course it was. Um, I love the scene that we played the bit before of the mother interrupting because I think there's so much you can glean from the character just from that scene. And of course, the mother's real, the real mother of Martin Scorsese. You want to hear some funny so voice? When I was watching King Comedy later in life, and you know his mother, who's that's really Scorsese's mother, who's calling down to mm-hmm. him, and she's like, "Come on, what are you doing down there?" So when I was growing up, I would be in the basement all the time watching Star Trek, <laughs> and my mom would be like, "What are you doing down there?" I'd be you like, "Mom, <laughs> I'm watching you're, Star you're Trek." Like practicing your dialogue, no, you? exactly, totally. But uh, Roger Ebert uh, was quoted in his review in 1983 for King of Comedy. He said, "It's one of the most arid, painful, and wounded movies I've ever seen," mm-hmm. and amazingly. Director Bennett Miller and Steve Carell. Oh, that was going to be one of my quiz points. Not quiz, but trivia. One of my trivia. Yeah. They well, looked course. at the character. And they said, this is perfect John inspiration. DuPont. John DuPont for Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher. So dark. And, and that's the thing about this movie. It's so dark, but De Niro has such perfect comedic timing. 
that it, it's funny to watch as well as being unnerving. His monologue, which they like let run all the way through, yeah. is really funny. It is funny. It's perfect beats. It's perfect beats. Sandra Bernhardt is also very good in She's this movie. She's great, yeah. Let's find out what our profilers had to say about the king of comedy. Mohammed Saad said, watching De Niro play Rupert Pupkin was one of my best movie experiences ever. From beginning to end, I was amazed by that character. So weird, so delusional, persistent, and in the same time, touching and very funny. A great performance and a great movie. Well, I remember also reading that Sandra Bernhardt said that they were looking at remaking the film with Jack Black and she was like, you can't remake it. Even though it's perfect for now, it's just, it's perfect. I think we did a lot of the same research here. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> we, we delve deep into these movies. Dan Skip Allen says, Rupert Pupkin is one of Robert De Niro's best performances ever. His insistent behavior to get on the Jerry Langford talk show gets him in over his head. This is a side of De Niro we have not seen before. Very true. Well, while we're waiting for our guest to call in, tell me about your right stuff. My right stuff? That would be my favorite De Niro scene. Ooh, that is a tough choice. <laughs> I went I went with the Russian roulette scene initially because it was the first one. Yeah. And then I actually went with the scene at the end of Cape Fear on the boat when when Max Cady is, is terrorizing the family and the storm is going on the boat. I mean, you really can't hold your breath. And he's like, I sentence you to the ninth circle of hell. You will know about loss. But I chose instead the scene from Meet the Parents. And that segues brilliantly into our guest. Our guest, we are now joined by Jay Roach, the producer and director of Meet the Parents. Came out in 2000, one of Robert De Niro's very best movies. Definitely one of his funniest. <laughs> Jay Roach, thank you so much for joining Scott and Alicia on Profiles. Thanks for having me. Um, nice, to, nice to be with you guys. Well, yeah, it's almost the 15th year anniversary for Meet the Parents. Why do you think this movie still holds up? It's still very funny every time you see it. <laughs> Um, if that's true, and I, I hope it is, I, I actually do enjoy seeing it uh, from time to time. I think it's because it's um, it's relatable in a fairly universal sense in that we've all uh, been in situations uh, where we're, if not going to meet someone's future in-laws, you're going to meet somebody that you're um, worried about, about impressing and winning their approval to get something you want. And um, I know for me it was it was definitely connected to my own experience trying to impress my future father-in-law my my <laughs> wife's father was a shrink and uh i did not grow up with shrink uh, culture in new mexico uh and i always feared uh that he had x-ray vision and was a human lie detector and, and so it was easy to play that play that and i i related to that even though I, I didn't write the script that was a lot of that was already in the script but it it i connected to it on a personal level and i tried to to invite the audience to do the same thing. Well, it's amazing because when you think about the ultimate hard-to-please father-in-law, you walk in the door <laughs> and it's Robert De Niro. Scary. I mean, it, it, the casting could not have been more perfect for De Niro to play <laughs> Jack Barnes. But how did that come about? Because I, I think I read somewhere that he initially wasn't sure if he was going to even do it. Yeah, there was a little hesitation. You know, I had, I had only done uh, two movies um, uh the Austin Powers movies. I mean, I, I had done two sequels and and a movie, uh, Mystery Alaska, which which did have a little drama. But he, I think, I was seen as a broad comedy guy. And the, the Meet the Parents script was grounded, even though there's some broadly funny things in it. It, it was definitely a grounded uh, story with real characters and, and real life situations. And I, I think he wondered 
how I might come at it. And uh, I appealed to him kind of a similar way about telling him a personal story. My own father works in, worked in the defense industry his whole life and was a professionally paranoid person. <laughs> and uh, it made him sort of uh, fear-based, if you will, a kind of trust-but-verify kind of guy. And uh, I started telling him stories about that and how it's not out of out of malevolence that he might pry into things, but that it was very much about wanting to protect his family and, and being afraid of an interloper who might come in and sort of, you know, contaminate their <laughs> their their family their castle, if you will. And uh he liked he liked hearing that and but I did have to go and convince him and uh, I'll never forget he when I walked out he patted me on the back and he said, "Don't worry, you're smart. You'll figure it out." And I was—I did not feel smart, and I did not know if I could figure it out. And uh, it was—it was one of the scary. It's from Robert De Niro to say that to you, like basically, yeah. don't screw this up. <laughs> uh, I felt a little bit like uh, Ben Stiller's character. I, mean, I pretty much felt like that character the whole time I was working with De Niro. That's perfect. Well, it looks like he had a lot of fun making Meet the Parents. What was De Niro like when he was on set? You know, he was um, he had a blast, and I, I didn't know what to expect. And you know, one can be intimidated. I I, I know for a fact Ben Stiller was a little intimidated <laughs> by him, uh, and I tried to actually not reassure him too much about about Bob because I I enjoyed watching him <laughs> sweat <Squirm>. a little <laughs> bit around De Niro. But you know, they did get to be friends eventually, and that that was actually part of what happened. Um, Especially when Owen Wilson was around, there was something about the three of them together when, when they would start improvising. And Bob's a pretty good improviser too. But he he when Owen would start going off in that one scene in the kitchen in, in uh, Owen Wilson's character's fancy house and started improvising about, you know how he <laughs> he once had taken care of this dog with his gimpy leg and, <laughs> and you know and uh, the whole thing about uh, you know the stock market and. All, there's a whole crazy funny run and almost all of that was improvised and De Niro was laughing so hard that one night we, we had to pick up and come in the next day he actually was his face had gotten so red and teary eyed from laughing <laughs> wow. that I said alright alright that's it because I, I kept going cut cut you know and I like to I like to stay in there and keep rolling when they break because a lot of times it's some really good takes will come out of that but they were <laughs> he was having way too much fun uh, that day well, well the one actor that we really want to know how De Niro got along with. I mean, this is really, really crucial. How did Robert De Niro get along with Mr. Jinx? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that is a great question because uh, I did not personally know that that cats could be trained. I when I when We had this notion, and, ben, and Jim Herschel had written in that the cat could learn to use the toilet and, uh, you know, all this stuff. And, and we were like, oh, yeah, right. And we found out quickly that there's a certain there are certain breeds of cats that aren't that bright, uh, particularly the the super fluffy ones are bred not for intelligence. <laughs> so we were and and so we found a couple of cats that were going to play the one cat. And and I'm telling you, Bob loved those cats so much, and he he learned every one of the little cues they taught them. Aww. And that that cat for real runs up, jumps on a bench and then jumps into his arms you know in that first scene <laughs> and uh and he would whenever whenever he was going you know jinxy jinxy you know he he became so grandfatherly and that was part of the design was to take this this uh this 
all the baggage and personas that he'd he'd connected to in earlier films where he's just a killer and a sad yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. you know a, a mafia guy or whatever and bury all that in this warm these warm sweaters and this sweet waspy wife and, and <laughs> this this grandfatherly relationship he had with that cat and that was real he was he loved that cat as much as as uh, you know, uh, off camera as much as he did on. That's so cute, and and then he can of course turn on the intimidation. He's known yeah. as this great method actor. Did you notice any change in him when he was working as opposed to when you first met him? Was he a little more <laughs> in character all the time? No, he was actually not from from me, and maybe it was just because it was a comedy. Uh, he was not very method, and, and, and he loves being directed. He's a director, and he knows he knows so much about storytelling that I, I to be honest, was a, a little intimidated about um, with my amount of experience compared to his uh, and the directors he's worked with to to actually give him much but he he came to me early on and said no no please don't you know just keep rolling and give shout shout what you want if it's a little too broad say do it straighter or see if it's too straight say try something funny like he he didn't he was the opposite of of method and preferred actually even having directorial uh notes shouted across the whole set during yeah. a take wow. and so i would sit in the dailies going who is that idiot talking to robert <laughs> de Niro in the middle of the take oh it's me <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he really he really was one of the most directable actors and a guy who enjoyed feedback uh and enjoyed enjoyed you know with with uh, from other actors too but he really actually uh completely um the opposite of a, a so-called you know, sort of stereotypical diva mm-hmm. method actor. Well, is it true that, that Robert De Niro came up with the polygraph scene? You know, that's an interesting story. Um, you know, uh, what's that whole phrase that uh, uh, all successes have many fathers? <laughs> there, <laughs> there was, it was a collaborative thing in my memory, and I've always let Bob have credit for it because he had a huge amount to, to do with coming up with it. It happened at a dinner with himself and... and uh, and Ben Stiller and myself, when we, the first time we all three got together, I was pitching to him this notion based on, again, on my father a little bit and on some talks I'd had with Ham, John Hamburg, who, was, who had come on as a, a part of the writer. And all, both writers, Hurstfeld contributed to it too, but the notion of a human lie detector that some of these guys, these mole hunters in the CIA had a, an ability, again, partly connected to my own fear of my own father-in-law's <laughs> <laughs> psychological uh, x-ray vision, that he could he could tell instantly when when Silly's character was lying and so that made trying to lie all the funnier because Ben's character is inherently sneaky and you know is trying so hard to cover his true nature sometimes that he's kind of bullshitting De Niro so uh so Bob started talking about his his research he had been doing for um the, the CIA movie that he was the the guard the Good Shepherd story that he had been working on and and he got had gotten to know all these guys and he was describing how the light detectors themselves work and and how it's less about the machine and more about this sort of human light detector capability and I saw I actually saw Ben get nervous <laughs> he was, I was like this is not we're not in the movie yet Ben you know we're just you, I don't think you're lying about anything are you but, uh, so I, I st- he started talking about how you make a guy nervous by asking him the questions and he was asking Ben questions and so I went back to to Hirschfeld and said oh you gotta you gotta figure out a way to work on an actual lie detector um, but it, it definitely came out of Bob's description of his own research 
Well, thank you so much, Jay Roach. We really love Meet the Parents, and it's so nice to see Robert De Niro do this role amongst all his, you know, Travis Bickles <laughs> it's and so Jake Lamotta. And I just remember when when Meet the Parents came out. I think it was October six, two thousand. It's off the top of my head, and I remember it because it was number one at the box office for four weeks in a yeah. row. Oh, that's so cool that you remember that. I, I've always been very proud of the fact that it that it had a little bit of legs, as they say. Um, so thank you for. for I, I it was a. I felt lucky. I got lucky. Uh, and but we had a, a great team of actors. A couple of great writers and um, and, a, and a solid concept. So I'm happy. I'm happy to translate it. Well, thank you so much for your time and for this really, really wonderful interview. We are grateful thank for you. your time and generosity. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, you guys. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That gets a high five. Gets a high five. That gets a high five. So you were saying your favorite scene is from Meet the Parents? Well, my is favorite. My, the, my whole scene. My whole scene is the Beat the Parents movie because I just <laughs> love that movie so much. What? Who couldn't relate to the the like what we were just talking about of meeting a potential father-in-law and him being that and it's scary? De Niro, it's that's Katie, it's the Vito Corleone, definitely. Ah, it's, oh, it's Jimmy Conway. But the other scene that I love, and it's just, see, this is what I mean. There's just too many. Yeah. The Untouchables. The Untouchables. The baseball scene mm-hmm. when I mean he is brilliant as Al Capone in The Untouchables. I mean, it's just one of his great roles, and he wasn't in the movie for that long, but he's like at dinner with all his people, and he starts talking about baseball and teamwork, and then he bashes the guy over the head with the baseball bat, and everybody around the table is just like terrified of him. That is Al Capone. What is your right stuff? I, I mean, I went for the really obvious one, but I love it so much. You talking to me? Because uh, Taxi Driver is my favorite, personally. Um, Robert De Niro film. It's also one of my favorite Scorsese movies. And that moment in particular shows exactly how good Robert De Niro is. I mean, that's one of the most iconic lines. Even if you haven't seen the film, you know exactly what it is. Plus, it was totally improvised. You're going to show me in your notes so you did the same thing. Yeah. In, in the script, it just said, Travis talks to the mirror. Travis looks at the mirror and talks to himself. And De Niro was inspired by Marlon Brando. And I found this when I was doing my research that there was many times when he was inspired by Marlon Brando. So oh. I think he felt a connection with him. Brando, of course, is another great method actor. Right. And then they... Uh, connected with the Godfather. The Godfather. But uh, he was inspired by Brando in Reflections in a Golden Eye, where Brando looks into a mirror and mouths words into it, so he thought he would do a similar thing. And it's just so terrifying, it's so intense, and that's when you see Travis really break and change completely. So I love that scene, even though I know it's an obvious one. But hey, there's a reason why it's obvious. There's a reason why it's so iconic. Because it's great. Because it's great. And there's a reason why it it is number 10 on the AFI list of best movie best quotes, quotes of all time. And he came up with it. And he came up with it. It is a great movie, a great scene, and so many great moments, so many great details, so much great <laughs> trivia when it comes yeah. to Robert De Niro. Hit me up, my friend. Well, you stole what I find about Steve Carell and Bennett Miller with Fox Catcher. <laughs> so the other one that I found interesting was, did you know that De Niro and Scorsese lived blocks away from each other in New York? I didn't know when that. When they were growing up, but they never actually met till 1972 when they met at a party and then they connected then they realized that they'd seen each other a lot over the years but they'd never met before and of course they had that instant connection well around 72 was about the same time that de niro was trying to play sunny 
in the Godfather. Wait, that gets a high five. (laughs) Same wavelength, a lot of names. We do a lot of research. We do a lot. We do the same research, but that's good. (laughs) Well, because we because we look at everything. We do look at everything. And we care. Facts out there. We care. What's you? What have you got? Okay, I got one for you. This is interesting, and I never knew this, and this is crazy. In the Deer Hunter, Mm -hmm. it was De Niro's idea to put a live round, a bullet. In the gun oh when gosh. they were shooting the Russian roulette scene. Now, Actually, of course, a live, round. a live round. Now, of course, they made sure that the round was not yes. near the trigger when, or you know, the uh, connector when it, when you pull the trigger. So there was that. But the fact that it was his idea to put the wow. live round in the gun just to make it even more real to heighten the tension. Exactly. That's incredible. That I've just I've done my two. Okay. Well. Did you know, speaking of the untouchables, that Al, uh, Al Pacino, <laughs> Robert De Niro tracked down Al Capone's original tailors for his wardrobe? That doesn't surprise me. That That's is not surprising. The level of detail that he goes to. Nobody does it better. Well, let's keep things going with Fast Five number four, which is... You might know who we are. But we know who you are. Understand? Oh. They called him Jimmy the Gent. Jimmy uh, the Gent. In Goodfellas. Goodfellas came out September 8th. 18th, 1990, directed by Martin Scorsese. Cost $25 million to make. Total box office domestic, $47 million. Mm-hmm. Six Oscar nominations, including Best Director, Best Picture, Supporting Actress. One, one Oscar for Joe Pesci. Amazing. It's still hard to believe that that movie lost Best Picture and Best Director to Dances with Wolves That's and Kevin right. Costner. That's right. I mean, which movie would you rather watch now? Oh, definitely Goodfellas. Goodfellas. You know, th- this is probably one of the, the more fun roles for De Niro. And it's funny saying that, but you watch this movie and it's so full of energy, so full of life. They're terrible guys, but you kind of want to hang out with them. They're cool. They're cool. And that's the magic of Scorsese that makes these gangsters cool and the magic of De Niro. I mean, his character, Jimmy the Gent, is so great. And he's not the, the lead role, but he's very important to the story. And it had been eight years since Scorsese and De Niro had worked together. Their previous film was King of Comedy. King of Comedy. <laughs> so they came back together. And at this point, De Niro was a big star. Mm-hmm. So he, when he joined this movie, it meant that Scorsese was able to get the funding to actually make it. Well, can you imagine, uh, can you imagine movies without, without Goodfellas? No. I mean, I, when this movie came out in 1990, I saw it so many times. When it came out on VHS, mm-hmm. I bought it and watched it so many times. Yeah. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be, be a, a gangster. gangster. And they just recently celebrated their 25th anniversary at exactly. Tribeca Film Festival. Well, the other thing about Goodfellas is just the, the, the style Mm-hmm. was so fast with the narration the editing the editing camera work it has inspired so many Dialogue. other movies and even Scorsese went back to that method with Casino and again with the Wolf, Wolf of, of Wall, Wall Street. Street but I love the scene in Goodfellas it's actually there's no dialogue in it so it's the scene after Maury yes at the bar yeah you got it right okay yes okay, you yeah. got it right give it up for a high five okay wait wait here's what happens he looks Right, right. So, so here, Maury wants his money after the Lafonso heist. Yeah. He wants his dot. He wants his money. He keeps bugging Jimmy. He goes, "What? Stop busting my balls!" He says, "I want his money." So he goes, "Okay, don't worry. You're going to get your money." He's walking away, and there he is at the bar. He's just looking at the camera. Zooms in, 
very, very slowly. <laughs> and the, the song Sunshine of Your Love by Eric Clapton starts playing. Mm-hmm. And he's just like looking at Maury like, you're dead, man. And like he's someone is having a conversation with him. And he just like looks, looks, eh, smiles look to the person next to him. And he goes back to looking at Maury and he's taking the smoke from the, from the cigar. And he's just yeah. like, you are a dead man. No word has said. I know. But it's just such a great De Niro Scorsese moment. It's such a great moment. And I mean, De Niro goes to great lengths. So he did a lot of research for this film. Mm-hmm. He, he would call up Henry Hill and Nicholas Pileggi lots of times to ask exactly how does he smoke a cigar? Exactly how would he hold a ketchup bottle? Would he tap it on the bottom? Would he roll it around? It's like every single nuance, every single gesture tells something about the character, but it's done in such a natural way. It's not like, I pick up this and I do this. It's not very actory. It's just so natural and that's why it really stands out for me and, this and, role and these uh, all these roles all these incredible iconic roles he put this level of dedication and commitment into all of them which mm-hmm. is why we are still talking about them yeah that's the beauty of it i know and that's why people look to de niro even though exactly. ironically al pacino was the one who was first offered the chance to play Jimmy Conway. He turned it down Mm -hmm. because he felt like he was getting typecast in these kind of roles. (laughs) Amazingly, he played uh, the gangster in Dick Tracy, which came out the very same year. But uh, other, uh, you know, very interesting about De Niro was that he was offered the chance to play either Jimmy Conway or Tommy DeVito, Mm. and he chose Jimmy Jimmy Conway. Conway. But it's just such a, what does it say? Here's what's interesting, Alicia. What does it say about Robert De Niro's body of work that Goodfellas is number number four four on our list? It says that he has just had so many incredible (laughs) roles and so many iconic roles and so different, even though you might go, oh, he plays sociopaths and he plays gangsters. If you look at them, they're all completely different from one another. And I know that we love our Roger Ebert quotes. And he says about Goodfellas, no finer film has ever been made about organized crime, not even The Godfather. That is correct. And there was a stupid article out, some guy wrote an article about how women don't understand Goodfellas and they can't possibly understand it. You get it. I get it. Okay, and she I love gets it. it. And she I loves love it. it. Even though it's they're just despicable cool. characters. It's, it's such a fun movie two and a half hours but it it, it goes. goes fast it goes real fast no wonder that Siskel and Ebert named it their number one favorite movie of 1990 you quoted Ebert I'll quote Siskel because <laughs> we are the Siskel and Ebert of the 21st century <laughs> Siskel said all of the performance are first rate in Goodfellas never routing your friends and always, always keep, keep your, your mouth, mouth shut. shut yes Brian Sudfield, our profiler, says, There are so many great films from De Niro, but my personal favorite is Goodfellas. It might even be my favorite film of all time. 1990 proved to be a great year for De Niro, being in both Awakenings and Goodfellas. His performance as Jimmy Conway is brilliant, so witty, villainous, and unpredictable at the same time. One for the books. And for Guru Ramanathan says, I absolutely love Goodfellas. I think De Niro delivers one of his best performances to date in that film. And overall, 
Goodfellas is hands down one of the best gangster movies. No, one of the best movies ever made, period. Scorsese's amazing direction combined with a phenomenal script and soundtrack made that film spectacular. Before we move on... Business time. Time to take care of some business. Business time. If you love watching profiles, if you love listening to profiles, <laughs> make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe. Subscribe to Profiles with Malone and Mance. Make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Believe it or not, of all the things that you could be doing, these ratings and reviews are really the things that keep us in business so we can keep coming back every other week, maybe every week, who knows, so we can keep doing profiles. Make sure you go to youtube.com backslash popcorn talk network and subscribe to profiles there very very important and we know that you love profiles so much that you're just going to share profiles (laughs) with your friends and make sure they share it with their friends too and this is really important get it out there get it out there because boy we really love doing this we know you love watching and listen to it so we need your help and above all else Go to our Facebook page, which is Profiles with Malone and Mance. Mm-hmm. Like our page for for no other reason so that you'll be the first to know who our next profile is. And that's also where we get all the comments that we read out. So that's where we find them. And we, we read all the comments, and that's where we do all the brackets. Brackets. And you will make friends with other profilers just <laughs> like yourself. Bless you. Bless you. See, she's so excited she couldn't help but sneeze twice. And more than anything, more than going to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Mance, sharing profiles, subscribing to iTunes and following you know, YouTube thing, make sure on Twitter you follow <laughs> you us. Like I keep, I just love saying it. I do. It, yeah. This is the part that I love the yeah. most. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. At Alicia Malone, <laughs> at Movie Mance. Pause. At Alicia Malone, <laughs> at Movie Mance. And now. All in the pause. All in the and pause. The on with the show. Right, on with the show. Quiz show time. I was trying to look then. Nice try, Laoshe. Nice try. All right. So here is my question for you, my friend. Okay. I, I stole this one from a quiz. That's okay. <laughs> In which movie does De Niro play a homicide detective looking for murderers who tape their crimes? Is it A, Killing Season, B, 15 Minutes, or C, Night in the City? Oh, Night in the City? No! 15 Minutes. 15 Minutes. I love 15 Minutes. Was that the movie you made with uh, Eddie with- Murphy? I no no oh no that's no, Ed Burns that's Ed Burns Ed Burns With the, the, I've only seen it a few times but I remember watching it and thinking it was great it's it's one of the another like early comment on reality TV and people wanting to be famous because they film their crimes the murderers and then they're famous that was not one that stuck out in my mind but I do remember seeing it I'm thinking of Showtime Showtime was the one oh, he yeah. made with Showtime. Eddie Murphy that's it. Yeah. okay my question for you this he's is really easy so many films he's made so many films like you said movies. more than ninety movies <laughs> all right. Easy one. I'm giving. <laughs> this is my gift to you. Right. So it's an it's an advanced high five. It's okay. an advanced high five because you have to know this because you are a film buff. Movies are your jam. Trivia is not my jam. Okay, trivia is not your jam, but I need you All partner right. on this. Give is what is Vito Corleone's real last name? Yep. Is it A. Esposito, B. Romano, C. Andolini? Or D. Moretti. C. C it is! Vito Andolini! 
Way to go. That gets another high five. Two. Good job, Alicia Malone. Well, let's keep things going with Fast Five number three, which is... You're talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking? You're talking to me? Talking I'm to the me? only one here. Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, released February 8th, 1976, directed by... Martin Scorsese. Of course. Yep. Cost $1.3 million to make. Box office domestic, $28.3 million. Four Oscar nominations for Best Picture, Best Score, Supporting Actress, and Best Actor. It won the Palme d'Or mm-hmm. at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival. It got booed there, too. It got booed, and it won. And it won. So... Controversial, scary as hell, yep. very intense, terrifying, unnerving, beautiful, beautiful, disturbing. Yeah. What else can you say about Taxi Driver? Well, I can say that Travis Bickle, Robert De Niro's character, is so iconic, like we've talked about. He is a product of the 70s, disconnected from society, desensitized after being a Vietnam vet, paranoid, angry, sees himself as this avenging angel. But interestingly, he also shows a very charming side, a very vulnerable side with Betsy, played by Sybil Shepherd, and he wants to save the young teen hooker Iris, played by Jodie Foster. So he's such an interesting character, an anti-hero. He is God's lonely man. And... I've read some interesting things doing my research that refer to Travis Bickle as a villain. And I don't see him as a villain. No. I mean, I see him as a an anti-hero, yeah. but not a messed villain. He's messed up. He's disturbed. I mean, the fact that he took Betsy to a dirty movie for their first date. He just doesn't understand he doesn't what's going get it. on. Yeah, he just doesn't get it. But he, he did cry for help subtly. Yeah. With Wizard, played by Peter Boyle. Remember, they're standing in the street, and he's saying, he says, I just feel like... I just feel like I'm going to do so. Like he's like do something. Yeah, I just you can just tell that. And Wizard is just like, don't worry, you'll be okay. Like he didn't know how to handle it. He yeah. didn't know what to say or what to do. But he was crying for help. Yeah, I mean, it's a, such a great movie. And that whole workout montage when he's getting ready and he's so intense and buying the guns and the stove scene. Like it's and and it is shot beautifully. The opening sequence going through New York and it's a very different New York to the one that we know now dirty and dark and then the bernard herman jazz score i just love we've talked about this before but i just love the juxtaposition between those two things of being very dirty dangerous city but looking beautiful and sounding beautiful as well with the jazz well that roger ebert actually said this about the you talking to me quote he says it's the truest line in the film it's bickle's desperate need to make some context somehow yeah and ebert also in his review described Describe the setting as hell because when you first see the cab, it comes through smoke. Yeah. You know? And that's a lot of red tones. A lot as of well. red tones. And at the end of the film, when after the big shootout, Travis, you know, the camera pans up and you're looking down on him. Mm-hmm. And that last scene is just sort of out of place because he just got shot. He was dying. Yeah. And now Travis looks just like he did at the beginning of the movie yeah, he's with in the Betsy. Cab. Yep. Well, speaking of Betsy. Played by Sybil Shepherd. Earlier, we had the chance to interview Sybil Shepherd for profiles about working with Robert De Niro, about working with Martin Scorsese, about making <laughs> so Taxi cool. Driver. How cool was that? So cool. That gets a high five. Shall we listen to and it? Let's roll it now. Listen, we are we are so grateful that you were calling into profiles to talk about Taxi Driver and working with Robert De Niro. We're so grateful <laughs> for your time. And I guess the first question is Sybil, after almost 40 years, 
Taxi Driver is still regarded as just one of the greatest movies of all time. Why do you think it holds up, and and how pr- proud are you to be part of such a landmark cinematic classic? I think it holds up because every single person at every level in the film was very enthusiastic, and we all had this kind of we shared this incredible excitement of getting to shoot this movie. And you're such a, a beautiful, bright spark in this film, which is still really dark. It's still unnerving every time you watch it. And you've done a, quite a few films before that. Did you see this as your next job, or did you know you're onto something really special? Well, I'd seen Mean Streets. Yeah. So I, so I really knew that there was a, it was an inc- everybody involved in it was incredibly talented. And um, when I first got the script, I had no dialogue in it. Essentially, there was none written into it, so I threw it across into a trash bag. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, then, um, well, let's see what else. Um, Scorton Savey called my agent, Sue Mangers, and asked for a Sybil Shepherd type. <laughs> and Sue said, well, how about the real thing? Wow. So I went and I had a meeting, and... Um, I didn't say much, and I made sure I wore makeup and did my hair. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get more dialogue into the script? Well, I trusted the talent, and then I really got to know uh, Marty and um, you know and um, Robert De Niro in the improvisation process. So we had a we had a suite at the. Uh, fancy hotel in Manhattan. Marty had a 16-millimeter camera, and uh, when I noticed De Niro's pages, he had as many notes written, them on, written on them as I did. I had notes written all over the place. Oh, wow. Well, what was your first impression of, of Robert De Niro? I mean, what was it like working with him? And, like, it's, I mean, he's so method, so did he, like, sort of stay character in between takes? Yes, he did, and he scared me to death. Wow. <laughs> it was easy to act those scenes. Well, was it? What was it like shooting, particularly the scenes in the in the cab? Because I know that this was really, even by nineteen seventy five, seventy six standards, this was pretty low budget and guerrilla style. Yes, well, there were very. That was a big cab. They don't have those anymore. But it was a very intimate thing to be in this cab with just the sound cinematographer, director, and the and the star. So we had this, it was just a very, we're shooting at night. Uh, we, I, I felt like we were getting away with a crime. Wow. It was very gorilla. Yeah, and, and I mean, it just, it still looks so beautiful. It's hard to believe it was not made for much money. Now, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese, of course, they've made eight films together now. Taxi Driver mm-hmm. was their second. Did you see that they had a great collaboration, a great shorthand, even back then? Oh, yes, absolutely. They were compadres. And I just want to mention also that this was Bernard Herrmann's yeah. last score yeah. in his long and fabled career. Amazing. Yeah, and he was, he was uh, you know, he did the music for Citizen Kane. And Psycho. This was his last score. And, you know, just like what kind of insight can you tell us about, like, when, when you saw Scorsese and De Niro working together? I mean, like, talk about one of the great director-actor team-ups of mm-hmm. all time. Well, they were, like I said, compadres. They were friends, they had great respect for each other, and they had a kind of shorthand, and they, they also made each other laugh a lot. Wow. 
Yeah. What kind of what kind of direction did Scorsese give to you and the rest of the cast, and how how hands on what was he with directing the cast, and how open was he to to improv, really? Well, I don't know about the rest of the cast, but I can tell you that his main direction to me was don't put a lot of scribble on your face. Not that he said, do less. Wow, do less. Do even less than that. Wow. Do even less than that. And that is an amazing way to direct actors. Yeah, I mean, De Niro is, is frightening in this movie. <laughs> like you said, I can't imagine him in between takes. How was working with him different to working with other actors who you've starred with? I've never been around an actor. I mean, I have worked with a lot of great actors, but never have I acted with one who stays in character the entire time. Mm. That's the first time. Now, that doesn't mean... I mean, I've worked with great actors. Lord have mercy. But everybody has a different way of going about it. But that's what most intense I've ever seen, that staying in character the whole time. Wow. Even not when, you know, you say, cut, he's still that character. And Travis is a scary character. Tra- Travis <laughs> is a scary character. And, you know, I, I, like, there was a... Rolling Stone did a list of the top ten best movie anti-heroes of all time and Travis Bickle was number one on their list Uh, but you know what did you think the first time you actually saw Taxi Driver from start to finish well I have to tell you I am a um, chicken when it comes to movie violence (laughs) so what I did was I would leave the theater when the violence started and then I and then I'd come back in. But what I forgot over the many years was actually that I'm in the last scene. I'd yeah. forgotten that. <laughs> so when I got the movie on a in a format that I could fast forward through the violence, I went, oh, my God, I forgot I'd done that scene. <laughs> I, we were really good in that. And it's so violent at the end and also really ambiguous and open to interpretation. Do you have a take on, on what the ending means? Well, it's a mystery. And the reason... I think it's mysterious is not only because of the script and because of we actors, the way it was photographed, the way it was filmed. Mm. It gave, there was an intimacy in those looks in the mirror between Travis and my character. Yep. And it, 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 like I say, I I wish I could say it better than just a mystery. We don't really know what's going to happen, but somehow these two people have come back together again. Yeah. And um, it's riveting. I actually read uh, an interesting take that, and it was from Roger Ebert of all people, you know, the, the mm-hmm. film critic Roger Ebert. And he said, he said the ending of the film, and he, you know, he wasn't narrowing it down, saying this is what happened, but his interpretation was that that last scene between Betsy and Travis was what was taking place during Travis's final thoughts after he got shot, mm. and that it was like uh, his dream. Because because Travis was in love with Betsy, and this was, you know, she he wanted Betsy to look up to her. So I thought that was an interesting take. Um, no, uh, I think he's right. Yeah, That's it's pretty interesting. Interpretation. Incredible yeah. interpretation. But what what special memories do you have from the making of this movie, of working with De Niro, of working with Scorsese? Well, as I said, Scorsese did a lot of takes. Some directors don't do this a lot, but Scorsese did. He did a ton of takes. But I found myself not at all impatient with that. And De Niro was not impatient with that. It's like we, we relished every time we got a chance to do it. Wow. Well, I there... mean, it, as I've had this long career, there have been times when I go, like, come on, you've already got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that situation. 
I know. I think that's De Niro as well. He loves to work at, at every scene. Do you have a favourite Robert De Niro film apart from Taxi Driver? Mean Streets? Yeah. I it's... loved everything he's done. I mean, he's just... Um, I can't... I still find it hard to believe my great good fortune that I got a chance to do this movie. And I gave Scorsese a little gift at the end. It was an 18-carat, like, keychain that said, Thank you. Uh-huh. Love Sybil because I felt this way my whole career, but particularly we look back on this film together. How grateful am I? How lucky was I? How did Scorsese know to say, "I want a Sybil Shepherd type"? And the Sue Mingers would say, "How about the real thing?" Yeah. It's amazing. That again, it shows you how fortunate I've been in my career. Well, we we are the ones who are fortunate. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and calling in and talking with us on Profiles about Taxi Driver, about working with De Niro, about working with Scorsese. We are very, very grateful. Thank you so much for your time, Sybil Shepherd. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Yes! She was so great. Oh, there you go. Double high five. Double high five. A high five then, a high five now. She was so great, wasn't she? She was great. Wonderful. We we still got a lot to get to. We got got a jam-packed version of The Others. Other movies, I'm sure we're going to miss a couple, so make sure you shoot us a tweet at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. If you're watching on YouTube and tell us your favorite De Niro films. At Alicia Malone at Movie Mance. (laughs) (laughs) Running through some of the others. Mean Streets. Mean Streets. Of course, he played Johnny Boy. He's just a a reckless, sleazy, charming con man. (coughs) Sorry. Harvey Keitel's the lead, but De Niro almost steals the whole show. Yeah, that was was his calling card. I also like Robert De Niro as Neil McCauley in... Heat. Yep. De Niro, Pacino finally sitting across from each other at the late great Kate Manolini's. Had an amazing shootout downtown LA. The one of the best, uh, best shootouts of all time. A great LA crime story. Cape Fear, we've talked about a little bit. Max Cady, he's terrifying, full of hatred, scarier than Robert Mitchum's original version. Much scarier. Much scarier. The Deer Hunter in 1978 plays Michael. It's just a tragic story about the Vietnam War and its aftermath. Casino, Sam Rothstein. He's kind of a more subtle performance than you might expect about this character. Very professional, very angry, but keeps it all in. And then there's Midnight Run from 1988. Yeah. Hilarious movie with Charles Grodin and De Niro together. Great dialogue. I love that he goes, I got two words for you. Shut the F up. <laughs> Plays Jack Walsh. A very recent one, Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. Playing Pat Senior. And this is a reminder of how good he is. He, it was kind of years of playing parodies or different versions of himself different versions of his characters and this character is neurotic and he's frustrating but when he cries he makes you cry too he's a big Eagles fan too and then there's Awakenings from 1990 he plays Leonard Lowe directed by Penny Marshall brilliant performance it's so sad when he like gets off his meds Mm. and he ends up where he started and there's just so many more movies so yes make sure you let us know in the comments section if you're watching on YouTube what we missed in our others Robert De Niro but moving on or in our Facebook page which is where we also run the brackets Steve Zissou looked after them this week and it was best De Niro performance so the semifinals were Travis Bickle versus Neil uh, from The Heat and then it was Jake LaMotta versus Jimmy Conway it came down to Travis Bickle versus Jake LaMotta 
Who do you think won? Travis. No. Ah, oh, it's Jake wrong. LaMotta. Jake LaMotta From wins. Raging Bull wins. The original Raging Bull wins. Well, this is what uh, Kevin Shaw had to say about your movie, Silver Linings Playbook. My favorite De Niro film is Silver Linings Playbook. What made the film spectacular is that every character was flawed and the audience could relate to one of them on that level. I have a lot in common with De Niro's character as I too can be superstitious sometimes. Mm-hmm. De Niro shines through in the intimate moments between him and Bradley Cooper where you can really feel the gravity of the father-son dynamic. It's a shame he did not win the Oscar that year for Best Supporting Actor. He more than deserved it. I agree. Well, onto a film that he did win an Oscar for. Fast Five number two is... That seems terrifying. Terrifying and probably one of the quietest murder scenes out there. Well, because he waited his whole life to do that so it's such a such a pivotal moment The Godfather Part 2 was released on December 20th 1974 directed by Francis Ford Coppola cost 13 million to make box office around 57 million domestic 11 Oscar nominations 6 wins including mm-hmm. Best Picture Best Director and Best Supporting Actor Robert De Niro and this was yeah he was obviously the second actor to win an Oscar for playing Vito Corleone and that's the first time and the last last time that that has ever happened where two different actors have won an Oscar to play playing the same character and it's such a tough gig because Marlon Brando's Vito Corleone is really iconic it's really memorable and there's been many parodies of it so somehow De Niro had to play a younger version of that something that ties in and and is believable as as the younger version but also doing his own thing and playing him uh, when he's in his 30s and starting to be very ambitious and very murderous and he nails it he does such a great job well obviously you know the godfather part two is one of the best sequels ever made it's the first sequel to ever win the oscar for best picture Mm -hmm. and it's just such an epic crime mob movie and i just love how the rise of young Vito is set against the juxtaposition of the fall of michael the movie moves forwards and backwards at the same time and the other brilliance is how De Niro took this iconic performance from Brando, made it his own, mm-hmm. fully deserving of his Oscar, uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, and just all the details, like you mentioned at the top of the show, he spent four months learning the Sicilian dialect. Yeah. And he gained weight for that scene when when he went back to Sicily and he put a a mouthpiece in and he looks like him he does look like him it's amazing the movie was filmed in 104 days the Hollywood Reporter said the romantic figure is De Niro he learns how to deal with a threatening culture on his own hard terms (laughs) I just sounded so excited he looks like him I just love seeing that scene and and this movie obviously De Niro and Pacino together it's such a smart idea for a sequel to have a a dual story father and son both around the same age past and the present and the two work so well together even though they don't share the screen well rachel cushing one of our favorite profilers can't wait to read this she's such a good writer i can imagine how people must have scoffed at the idea of a sequel to the godfather being anywhere near as great as the original how do you top the arc of michael corleone or the unassailable performance of marlon brando as don Vito by casting robert de niro as a young Vito and show his arc in flashbacks that's how 
now. Vito's sweeping journey into a life of crime plays against his son Michael's own descent, and De Niro captures the grit, strength, and violence needed to become the Don. As mm-hmm. always, De Niro brings a raw intensity to the role, but his truly great achievement here is how perfectly he captured the mannerisms that will become Brando's Don Vito in the future. It is impossible not to fear, yet respect his Don Vito Corleone and how he helped create a sequel that is every bit as incredible as the original. Way to go, Rachel. Way to go, Rachel. John Goat says, I believe Godfather 2 is De Niro at his best. He takes my favorite Brando role and shows us a whole other side to the Don. While not parodied or referenced as often as Brando's portrayal, De Niro's Vito Corleone is just as well portrayed as he gradually transforms into the godfather we know from the first film. He shows us that prequels can not only keep a character great, but expand on what made that character iconic, as well as add an extra dimension to their journey. Well, that brings us to number one in our Fast Five. Which is... Bring it over! It's like a piece of charcoal! Bring it over here! (laughs) Want your steak? Yeah, right now! Such an angry character. Raging Bull. Raging Bull, put it with a capital R. Raging Bull, released December 19th, 1980. No question about it. This is Martin Scorsese's finest film, and definitely De Niro's as well. Eight Oscar nominations, two wins for Best Editing and Best Actor. Lost Best Picture and Director to Ordinary People. I love that movie, but Raging Bull is poetic. It is. I mean, that the start of the film is is so beautiful. The black and white, the, the music, score, yeah, the music, and this is the iconic transformation that everyone talks about. And when an actor completely transforms by putting on weight and and by really throwing everything into it, this was De Niro's passion project. He convinced Scorsese to come on board. He flew to the Caribbean where Scorsese was getting sober from his cocaine addiction, yep. and they came back together. They made this incredible movie that's one of the best or maybe the best sports movie ever made and it's not really about sport. No, There's this is... not much time in the ring. It's about Jake LaMotta dealing with everything outside of the ring and his anger, his this violence. This is a movie about a fascinating character study about a man who was without question his own worst enemy. I mean, he just couldn't help himself. Siskel and Ebert named it their best movie of the 1980s, of the decade, and it cost $18 million to make. Box office was about $23 million domestic, so it didn't make a lot of money, but you know, we already talked about how De Niro raised the bar for pulling a De Niro. Whenever an actor gains weight or yeah. loses weight, takes a drastic change in their appearance uh-huh. for a film role, it is always compared to what De Niro did for Raging Bull. We just recently saw Southpaw. Yes. And Jake Gyllenhaal quite similarly transforms. And I thought there was a few moments in that film that were inspired by Raging Bull. Some slow motion, some screaming at the camera. That feels very... And because Raging Bull is such an influential film. No I question. love the way it's shot in black and white. Yep. That just adds a completely different quality to it. And it's hard to watch at times. It's unsettling because Jake LaMotta is so full of anger. He's like an animal and he's uncontrollable and he's scary and particularly towards women. He idolizes women until they come close to him and then he sees them as trash. After after Jake, the real Jake LaMotta and his then wife Vic you know Vicky when they saw the film together he said to her was I really that bad and she said you were worse oh my gosh wow okay at the Oscars in 1981 when De Niro won for best actor Jake mm-hmm. LaMotta was in the audience and interestingly Sissy Spacek won the Oscar for playing Loretta Lynn 
she was also in the audience that night. <laughs> so you have this milestone Oscar telecast where the two lead acting roles and the people that they were playing were in the, in audience, the audience at the same time. It's that must have been amazing. an interesting film because it's not a sports film which makes the athlete look good. No, you know? it just no, definitely doesn't. Yeah. The New York Times in their review said Scorsese has made his most ambitious film as well as his finest. And Time Magazine said much of Raging Bull exists because of the possibilities it offers Robert De Niro to display his own explosive art. Oh, yeah. Sam Cox says seeing De Niro in Raging Bull was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. In that movie, I saw how an actor can actually turn himself into a different person. De Niro is nowhere to be seen in Raging Bull because all you see is the abusive and determined Jake LaMotta. Not only did De Niro look the part by training with actual boxers and then gaining the weight for the later half of the movie, but he changed the way he moved and talked, which blew me away. In my eyes, De Niro's performance in Raging Bull is one of the greatest, if not the greatest performance I have ever seen in my 17 years of living. I love that. I love it. And Josh Price ends it off by saying Raging Bull is less a film about boxing and more a film about a man plagued by crippling anxiety, insecurity, and animalistic aggression. De Niro's performance is the most painful portrayal of paranoia in cinema history. Yeah, he was really paranoid in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it was his physical and mental transformation that sealed his position as the actor of a generation with this explosive display of talent. The ugly emotional turns he takes somehow provoke empathy in an otherwise reprehensible human being with a twisted sense of judgment. Wow. The tragic tale of a man helpless to stop himself, destroying everyone who loves him. In my opinion, the best performance ever put to film. And that is that. That is that. But she closes what the book, book. Because before we, we do our rundown again. Okay, can I do to, it quickly? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you, yeah I'm going to do it. Okay, you do it. Okay. So, business time. Yes. For, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, yep. rate and review. Go to youtube.com slash popcorn talk network and subscribe to see all our episodes. Go to our Facebook page profiles with Malone and Mance and hit the like button and participate in our brackets and you get to see there who we're going to talk about next. We still haven't decided yet. Share it with all your friends and get your friends to share it with their friends. And then follow us on Twitter at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone. Pause. At Movie Mats. At Alicia Malone. Yes. Excellent it? job, Alicia Malone. <laughs> and the rundown one last time. Coming in at number five is The, the King, King of, of Comedy. Comedy. Number four is Goodfellas. Good number three, Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver. Number two, The, the Godfather, Godfather Part two. two. And number one, Raging, Raging Bull. Bull. Wow. Robert De Niro, what if you're episode. watching or listening, we hope we did justice to you because we love you. Yes. You Thank are the you man. Thank you so much for your incredible movies, your incredible work. Thank you for watching and listening to Profiles. And until next time, bye. bye. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.